Good evening, everybody. Welcome into the Nittany Lions Sports Report. Bob Long, Tyler Gellhouse alongside, as always. Well, the Nittany Lions of Penn State have dropped from the ranks of the undefeated. By way of Minnesota, the Golden Gophers, who are still unbeaten, move up into the top ten of the college football playoff and control their own destiny in the Big Ten West. So much to get to. We'll talk about it all. We're also going to have Ryan Ansel as our guest picker here tonight. He is an assistant coach with Swarthmore Men's Basketball, the number one ranked team in the Division Three men's basketball rankings, and he also runs his own coaching service, Ryan Ansel Basketball. So excited to get that story. It really is a tremendous one, and then get his picks. But there's going to be a lot of time to talk about Ryan. What we want to start with <laughs> is uh, a very difficult loss for this Penn State game. We're going to go through painfully at times the key moments of the game, what drove Penn State to eventually lose this close contest. Tyler, your opening thoughts on what you saw on Saturday afternoon. Uh, my opening thoughts would be um, Minnesota is a lot better than I had expected coming into the game. Um, I hadn't watched them a lot this year, but what I saw from them was pretty much their schedule, uh, starting off slow, um, and they started to pick up steam. I mean, they were beating teams by um, solid point differentials in the Big Ten, not the strongest Big Ten teams out there, Nonetheless, they were taking care of business, beating them by solid, solid amount of points. Um, I, I guess I was surprised uh, that Minnesota threw the ball all over Penn State. Um, I did know that um, Bateman and Johnson are, are a very good uh, duo for receivers at uh, Minnesota, um, but I was surprised that Penn State didn't have any answers for them. Um, it seemed I don't even know if I saw any adjustments on defense. Um, Tanner Morgan was like eighteen for twenty for almost three hundred forty yards. Um, really near perfect on a day. Um, the defense couldn't get home. A lot of that was because of the quick passes. Um, I think what you talked about on the blitz, you were spot on. Uh, but Penn State wasn't able to get home, and I think that was in large part due to Minnesota's game plan. The ball was coming out of Morgan's hands fast, um, and and they shredded Penn State's secondary. And Penn State, they, they were in a hole, and they just weren't able to get out of it a little too little too late there at the end. So let's go painful, quarter by quarter here, what our takeaways were from this game. Let's start out with Justin Shorter. We have to talk about Justin Shorter. We talked about him in the Blitz in a few of our episodes this year where we go to the whiteboard and break something down related to Penn State football. He's actually going to be part of the conversation here today. But let's start with the first drive where the first play is a little read option and you have Shorter coming across the middle on a post route. Really good throw from Clifford. Straight up a drop. Two plays later, he takes a shot deep for Justin Shorter. I heard a lot of people out there saying it wasn't a good throw. I don't think it was the best throw he could have made. I did not see that as an, an, a throw where you take Sean Clifford and put the majority of the blame on him. I absolutely put the blame on Justin Shorter, not being able to read the ball, understand where the defender is, and at the moment of truth, go up and get the football. He never left the ground. Antoine Winfield did an interception Serves as a punt, essentially. You're down now at the six-yard line, send your defense out on the field. And yes, that ball could have been a little bit further towards the middle of the field because the safety in the middle had crept up as that, as that play was developing. So Shorter was all alone with Winfield. Yes, if that's more towards the middle of the field, Shorter's going to have a better chance. But that's a ball where you look at some of the great receivers in Penn State history. You're talking about guys with that type of size. 
Allen Robinson comes to mind. Maybe not quite the same size, but even a Chris Godwin of sorts. He goes up and gets that football. Shorter hasn't done that. We're not saying that he's Allen Robinson or Chris Godwin yet, but he was certainly recruited as such, tabbed as such. You got to go up and get that football. You didn't. And that was kind of just the first of many things to come. Yeah, I guess what's most disappointing about that, Bob, is that he didn't even really make an effort to go get it. Uh, His feet never left the ground. Yeah, I mean, he was he was actually going towards the ground as opposed to going up to get the ball like Winfield was. Um, the problem with that is it really wasn't that bad of a, uh, a throw by Clifford, but I mean, at the very least, he's got to like play defense in a sense and not let him pick it off. If you can't get to it, you got to do your best to bat it down. Right. There, the problem I had with it was there was no effort, and it was a rather inter- easy interception, one of two for Winfield, um, two very easy interceptions that, um, you know, the one I think the second one could have been called pass interference on the defense, but it right. wasn't. Um, but, yeah, and then, and then later in that game, too, um, Shorter dropped a wide-open touchdown pass right off his hands. Um, thank goodness uh, Bowers bailed him out later on that drive with a touchdown. So yes. points weren't taken off the board there, but very concerning. I mean, I know I know we're going to talk about it a little bit later with the um, the X position, the X receiver position at shorter plays, and he's constantly on the, the one side of the field by himself, and you're going to talk about later why that's so important. Penn State has failed to get um, production out of that position this year, and I right now when you look at the stats, I mean, it's it's um, Hamler, excuse me, Hamler, Fryermuth, and then Dotson, and then even Bowers, a second tight end, are the top four targets. Then you throw some backs in there. Um, the and the exposition between um, shorter George and Chisena just hasn't produced this year, and and I think that's a big reason you're seeing this offense sputter at times. You're exactly right. Now my only counter to any point you made there is I don't I didn't see it as laziness from Justin Short. I think it's a a timing thing and kind of a lack of understanding when you see guys that don't get the ball enough and. Uh, guys that aren't skilled at going up and high-pointing the football, which, by the way, I never liked that line. You're not high-pointing the football. You're not getting it at its highest point. No. You're getting it at your Nobody highest point. Nobody can get it at its highest point most <laughs> of the time. You're getting it at your <laughs> right. highest point. So, anyways, just that little point. But uh, I think he just, unfortunately, was in a spot where he couldn't really find the football, isn't adroit at that yet, and as a result kind of was flat-footed. And, and Antoine Winfield, give him credit, as a defensive back, is actually more adept at going up and high-pointing the football, we'll call that it, kid's a player. than Justin Short. Yeah, that kid's an absolute player, Winfield. He'll probably be first-team All-Big Ten if I had to guess. Um, maybe lazy wasn't the best word because I doubt that Justin Short is lazy. It just looked like a total yeah. lack of effort on that play. Or maybe that's how you put yeah, it. Yeah, um, yeah, 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 lack but, of effort. But, but even it, then, it, I just think it was misplaced effort. Yeah, I, I don't know. I, I think, I'm, not, I'm not sure if he has it, if he's put it all together in his head yet, how, right. could he, how good he really can be. And I think he's struggling with that a little bit. Coming in as top receiver in the country two years um, last year, class of 2018, that would have been um, the third highest recruit in Penn State history. Um, and I think that, you know, expectations are high, and I'm not, I just don't think he's dealing with it uh, too great right now. But, you know, he's had a quiet season, of course, um, but he was called upon Saturday in a big way and, and didn't produce. All right, that's one of many. So hang on for dear life here, folks. The next one. The initial drive for Minnesota. Penn State runs a nickel package. Nickel meaning that you have five defensive backs on the field, only two linebackers at that point. Two receivers out wide, another tight end on that. Actually, no, there was no tight end. There was a receiver in the back. I'm sorry, I should say a running back in the backfield for Minnesota. The two receivers on the far side of the field, the near side as you were looking at it on television. So they're going to run 
a blitz. Lamont Wade, the quarter cornerback, the nickel corner, takes a run into the backfield, shows blitz, I thought, early. He showed the blitz very early. I saw him coming, creeping before the snap. And if I saw that, don't you think Tanner Morgan saw that and was able to kind of dial that up as he saw that coming? He's turning to this side, and that's the way Lamont Wade is coming. It's not like you're drawing something up for a backside blitz, right? And the running back started to the right of Morgan. So we're going to get into this a little bit more. Didn't like the call at that time. But here's the way that play is designed. John Reed has to come in and take that middle receiver, that slot receiver. And in the meantime, you have one high safety, actually two high safeties since it's a nickel look, and Garrett Taylor comes all the way across to take on what ended up being Rashad Bateman, the guy at the Z position, the Z wide receiver for Minnesota. Certainly, Garrett Taylor was late. But I think Penn State showed blitz a little bit early, and I need to give that running back in the backfield Credit for picking up that blitz early, from Lamont. Excuse Wade. me, early is in early in the game or oh, okay. showing gotcha. the blitz early to the quarterback in on Minnesota. that play, showing the blitz before the snap. And I know it's okay. tough timing, but it it was a little bit telegraphed. And again, I have a real problem with running that blitz directly at the side where the quarterback is going to turn and see that the entire time. Yeah. He was able to square that up. As I mentioned, the running back started to his right in the backfield on that shotgun set. He could tee up Lamont Wade, not a big guy, and that gives him just enough time to fire it to the outside. Good job by Bateman. You know, he sees it and just runs a go route and knows that Taylor isn't in the area. So does Morgan. Great recognition. Touchdown. Big-time chunk play to start the game for Minnesota offensively. And just like that, Penn State behind the eight ball, 7 nothing. Didn't like the call, didn't like the execution, and that all results in a touchdown. Yeah, and I mean, Taylor was a split second late getting there. Uh, I still think he could have made the tackle there. Uh, if but, he took um, a slightly different angle, Yeah, too. I mean, it was just um, unfortunate. I mean, but it still would have been a big play, certainly not a touchdown. But I agree with you. I, I wasn't sure... When he when he blitzed, I I didn't understand why I didn't understand why they were blitzing on that specific play. I didn't think it was necessary, and to me, it's like you know that their receivers can can kill you, and they did, and they let it happen early and often. Yeah, yeah. So then it's fourteen. I'm sorry, it's seven nothing there. Big run by Journey Brown, back to seven seven. Couple more chunk plays. Minnesota gets down towards the red zone, and it's a twenty one yard tunnel screen. For a touchdown, they throw it out to the wide receiver. Tunnel screen being the receiver takes one step out this way and darts back. The receiver cuts the block out on that side. Your linemen get downfield, and you can get them down the field because you're throwing that ball behind the line of scrimmage. That's the concept of a tunnel screen. And so between that receiver and that lineman, you're actually creating a tunnel at the second level. That's why it's named that way. Well, Brilliant call by P.J. Fleck because I think at least four, if not five, of Penn State's normal starters in the front seven were not on the field on that play. So the guys from the front four heading into the backfield with reckless abandon don't have the same amount of snaps as, you know, as, as Gross Matos normally would or even Tony, a guy who's a pin-your-ears-back type of player anyway, but at least have had time to recognize screens and more snaps. So they head into the backfield. Offensive linemen let them go, and all of a sudden tunnel screens head into the house because the front seven didn't identify it correctly. Great call by P.J. Fleck, but we talked about it a lot with Antonio Shelton being out of the game, and that particular package didn't have any starters on that front four. That's how you get yourself a touchdown, 14-7 Minnesota. Yeah, um, 
that was the second touchdown for Minnesota, right? You said. Yep. Uh, yeah, good point. I didn't even realize it was a backup set at that point, but um, you got to give Minnesota credit. I mean, they were on their game from start to finish, and uh, Penn State clearly wasn't. And um, you know, everything we've talked about so far, it, it certainly sounds like Minnesota's coaching staff um, outcoached Penn State and were a step ahead of them throughout the game. Almost, it feels like. Third and three. Penn State brings it all the way down. Chance to make this really an offensive shootout, which it ended up being to some extent, at mm-hmm. least in the first half. Third and three, Tyler. Are we, st- are we in the second quarter or the first? We are still in the first quarter. Okay. Third down and three. Play clock winding down. Really, they're trying to get uh, some late change in, and there's no, delay game. there's no real reason for it. A delay a game. And you're back to third and eight at that point, and obviously you settle for a field goal. That is completely unacceptable, and it is a, it's a fixable. And it, I, here we'll go with a tennis term. That's an unforced error by Penn well, State. Well, yeah, and I mean it's funny. It happened in the red zone, and I'm sure we'll talk about later too. Uh, yep. Coming up here, red zone flaws, and I mean oh, yeah. that was it was disastrous inside the red zone, and and that outside of how bad Penn State played and how well Minnesota played. This game was won and lost in the red zone for Penn State. They couldn't capitalize in the red zone. Oh, yeah, absolutely. So now we do move to the second quarter, and it is uh, still 14-10 at this point. So Penn State got that field goal. Clifford heads down the field with the offense. Pretty decent drive. He throws a little bit of a hand grenade. Reminded me of the one he threw up to, was it Fryermuth or Bowers against Michigan State? Backfooted it, just saw a little mm. bit of, sure. of of zone coverage and a little wheel route. Yep. Same type of thing this time. It's KJ Hamler throwing a lob for him. Don't love that call. Clearly, no. uh, that progression there. Safety over the top. Who picked it off? Antoine Winfield right. as well. Uh, yes, defensive pass interference. Sure. We're not here to talk about the officials. We will talk about them a little bit later. <laughs> bad read. Bad call. Defensive pass interference or not, that's not the play. Right. And that's a bad look from Sean Clifford. Again, something you'll have to live with. First year quarterback but have to bring that up, right? So now Minnesota comes back the other way. I thought Keaton Ellis played wonderful defense on that next long throw um, to, what was it? Was it? Was it? I think it was Johnson. I would think it was Johnson. I mean, he made, a, he made a great catch. Great catch, yeah. great throw, wonderful coverage by the true freshman, I mean, Keaton Ellis. Yeah, Nothing yeah. to say there. T- Tanner Morgan honestly looked like a Heisman contending quarterback <laughs> against Penn State. <laughs> he looked really good. I mean, I mean seriously, uh, he he – and and Penn State it's quite the statement. Well, I mean, if you think about the last couple of years, they've had mediocre quarterbacks go off against them. Yeah, um, the little workies of the world. The kid from Buffalo played well this year against right. them. Kenny Pickett played well against them. Um, I'm not sure if there's a common theme here. There's something these offenses are picking up on the Penn State defense. It's probably what it is. Um, but you know, consistently, it seems like that the Penn State secondary has been. Um, the weak point of this defense this year. Yep, so now it's 21 nothing. Minnesota tacks on another field goal, 24-10. to That was actually a pretty nice job by Penn State's defense to, to keep that to just three. And you're heading down the stretch here in the first half knowing that Minnesota's going to get the ball to start the second half, and you're thinking, all right, Penn State needs a drive. And they did. And they brought it down the field as time was getting ready to expire. And then you get the ball inside the red zone, and we're going to keep talking about the red zone, Tyler, but all of a sudden Penn State decides after getting a first down, 19 seconds left, we need to get up and spike the football. So that takes away one of three plays that they have a chance to. So now you really have two plays essentially. Right, yep. And so on third down and goal, all of a sudden they draw up a quarterback draw, which – 
I didn't like the call, and we're, we'll talk about Sean Clifford's decision-making as well as we get through the game in the, uh, in the red zone. Really didn't like that look whatsoever, to call that up at that time. What was and second then, down, if I may add? Second down, second Was down. that like when they, they – sp- Oh, it was a very dangerous pass, I think, for Is Nick that, And that's when they, they had a, a lineman um, on the line of scrimmage but lined up at receiver. And Bowers yeah. was a tackle-eligible tight end. That's right. Because of the formation. It was weird. And, yes, it was a dangerous Very pass. Dangerous. I mean, the play, I, I don't know if that's the right time and place for it. I don't know. But dangerous play nonetheless. They're lucky they got a third down op- uh, chance there. Well, interesting because you talk about unique play calls and unique play designs, and you're talking about Nick Bowers. We're going to talk a little bit about a play later in the game that I thought was a great, great play, play call in the red zone to Nick Bowers. So I'm okay with the draw-up of the play. What I'm not okay with is the recognition of the defense and Clifford saying, yes, this is the ball that I'd like to throw at this time. That's the problem there. And so then you got to make a decision as to whether you're going to go for it, kick the field goal. They do kick the field goal from three yards away. And I'm of okay course. with that. I'm okay with that with Minnesota right. getting the ball to start. You need, of course. It, yeah. Then there's a running into the kicker, so you have a chance to reevaluate. Do you take a shot from the one and a half? You take the points. Again, I'm okay with you taking the points there. What I'm not okay with are the three downs leading up to that point. You have right. to score. You should have scored if you're Penn State. And there's no reason I, why they did not. I think Penn State's gotten a little happy with the Clifford draw. Um, I can't remember on that specific one if Hamler was in motion, uh, but they scored against Maryland on the first drive of the game where, where Hamler came around in motion, faked the handoff. Everybody watches Hamler, and, and, and Clifford just scoots on in untouched for a touchdown. <laughs> We're going to talk about like, that exact play you know what I mean? later like, I, in the game. I think that they're getting like – teams are catching up to it. It's, not, it's only going to work a few times before people catch on. So Right. But was that a motion one right there, or was that just a straight-up draw? Ah, uh, that one I mm, – shoot, I'm trying to remember now. I think, I think there was some motion. We're going yeah. to talk about okay. one later in the game, though, where there absolutely was motion, and it was a true read option. And Clifford kept it up the middle. But still to come on that. And again, I I am sorry for the painful nature of this. But I think it's worthwhile to talk about. So now it's halftime. Penn State comes out and gets a great stop. And then then they give it right back to Maryland. Maryland starts – Minnesota. (laughs) You're talking about Maryland. You got me thinking about Maryland. If only they were playing Maryland this past weekend. Uh, so then Minnesota starts driving it down the field again, and Keaton Ellis, a couple times now this year, forces a fumble, and Penn State gets on it. Great play um, by Ellis Brooks to get on that football. That yeah. was a huge fumble recovery at the right time. And it, it felt like that was the play that was really – that was the turnover that they were looking for. It was right. going to swing the momentum, and it did for a little bit. Huge drive, Penn State. Really, I learned a lot about this team in a positive way on that next drive. A couple chances where third and deep or third and somewhat manageable, a lot of times it's Pat Fryermuth coming up with it. Every one of his catches moved the chains on Saturday, and that's exactly what you want out of your big tight end possession-type receiver, and he can do a lot more than that as well. Mm-hmm. Fryermuth was huge. It ends with that great Nick Bowers play where he's going to fake a little block where he's trying to seal an edge off tackle to the outside. Comes in one between. chuck. And then just heads yeah, up the field, that, that, eyes in the backfield from the defensive backs and the linebackers. Nothing you can do there. Great play call. That, that was a great play, and that was followed up by what we talked about earlier, the Justin Shorter touchdown drop, which really could have killed the drive and right. the momentum of the offense. That's a but, great point. Uh, like you said, you learned a lot about the team on that drive uh, despite the loss. I would agree. I mean, um, 
they could easily, you know, oh, come on, like we're not going to score on this drive, but they, they scored and, and it was a ball game. And now it's time to get to the next thing. This is a big, big topic. Going for two. So Penn State decides to go for two, and we'll talk about James Franklin's comments as well. They throw a little screen, and that's just a simple bubble screen. So unlike that tunnel where you get him heading towards the middle of the field, you're just throwing it bubble, catch, receivers in front, try to find a seam. Uh, Ricky Slade makes the wrong decision there. I'm surprised that James mentioned that, talked about it in the press conference, but he did, said that, hey, we think it would have worked if he goes to the inside. Um, but nonetheless, that, that is absolutely correct, that he would have scored if he went to the inside. I'm going to take this counter to pretty much anybody else that I've heard talk about this. No, I don't think it was the right decision to go for two, but the way the game went, it actually didn't matter that they went for two. Right, So you have folks saying, hey, if you didn't go for two, you would have been down by 11, and you would have a, a field goal and a touchdown and then a two-point conversion away. The what-if game. That, that's not how it works, though, because they already went for the two-point conversion and didn't get it. The way to think about that is you go for the two-point conversion, you don't get it, and then Minnesota kicks. So actually, let's not even say that. Penn State scores another touchdown. So now they're up 25-24. Would have been 20 to 24-20 if you kicked the extra point. Now it's 24-19. You get a stop, go down, score another touchdown, 25-24. Now you're forced to go for two again. Now let's say you don't get that. Minnesota kicks a field goal, and you lose the game by two. That's how it's a mistake. That's how it becomes a mistake, where if you had just kicked two extra points, you would have tied the game versus how you lose it. And I say you don't go for it because you still have four minutes left in the third quarter. The way Minnesota's been scoring, the way you've been scoring, and again, Minnesota did score again. So that's why you don't do it at that right point. Right after that, they scored, actually. Right, right. Right after that, they scored. And so, But that's not why you do it, or that's not why you even complain about it, right? So... Um, Minnesota scores another touchdown. Now it's 31-19, and people are saying, see, it's 12 points. If it had been 11, they could have done it within two. And I don't think you can look at it that way because they already tried the two-point conversion. Yeah, different time, different place, but you have to assume the same result the next time. The real issue comes where, again, Minnesota kicks a field goal, and now Penn State has to go for two, where otherwise they would have just kicked an extra point to tie the game. They now need a two-point conversion just to tie the game. So that's why you would be upset about it. That situation did not present itself or manifest. And so I, I just wanted to clear that, not even clear that up, offer my opinion mm -hmm. on that. Um, Franklin says opinions are being stated as facts. My opinion is that's how, uh, that's how the situation backfires. It is a fact that if that situation had happened, that they would have needed to try to get a two-point conversion where otherwise they would just need to kick a, an extra point to tie the game. Two extra points, that is, right, if Minnesota kicks that field goal. So uh, that's probably a little bit verbose for the, the situation, but I wanted to explain my thoughts on it. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I mean, it was, there were definitely some questionable, uh, decisions. You already talked about the game management aspect of it, uh, with the spike, um, the red zone play calling, which will continue a little bit in the fourth quarter. Um, and then, and then these decisions, I, you know, it's the kind of thing that if he, they get it, oh, great. That's a great call. And if he doesn't oh what do you, at the end of the day, they lost by five, not one or two. Um, yeah, it could have made a difference down, down the road if he would have had a chance to hit a field goal to tie it or win it, but they didn't. Um, and, and frankly, they really 
they were fortunate to be in that position late in the game, which we're going to get to here. Right, absolutely. So now Penn State gets back inside the 10, 31-19, because Minnesota does go down and score. So they get easily. in the red zone once down again. Easily and scored. Yep. Journey Brown, nice little catch on the screen, goes down a little bit awkwardly, calls for a sub. That's why Devin Ford comes into the game. Had some folks on a text chain asking why did Devin Ford go into the game. And it wasn't because it was Ricky Ronnie just deciding to shake it up. <laughs> it was because Journey Brown was actually down for a couple of snaps. Correct. What that doesn't mean <laughs> is that you got to draw the first two plays up as rushes for Devin Ford. Who, hasn't, who hadn't played the whole game. It's cold, tight on the bench. Exactly. It doesn't make any sense. It doesn't. It doesn't make any there's sense. There's a lot of things in this game that didn't make sense. And uh, one of those things is the very next play. Third down, you were talking about this type of thing. He scored against Maryland this mm -hmm. way. Sean Clifford, jet sweep fake. It's a read option. It's totally Clifford's call. He's reading. He's reading, actually, the linebacker, right? Because if you're just doing a, a draw to the running back, He's not really going to be getting off tackle any further than off tackle. He's not coming from that jet sweep position most often. So now you're actually looking at, again, that outside defensive end, but that outside linebacker as well. What are you seeing? He decides to keep that go up the middle. He's made that decision a few too many times when there has been an opening on the outside. This is one of those times. Third down and goal from about the four. You're trying to go up the middle through the trenches to get into the end zone on third down after you just ran it up the middle the last two times. Don't like it. Don't like the decision by Sean Clifford. That's not a Ronnie issue, though I think he put the team in a little bit of a pressure cooker. Third down, need to get it. Mm -hmm. And so now all of a sudden it's fourth down on what I think was a bad decision of reading the defense by Sean Clifford. Yeah, and then the fourth down was um, Lob. the fade to Hamler, which which I don't understand. I mean – Penn State really doesn't have somebody outside of a shorter right now, and you can't trust him. And, and maybe a Fryermuth that I would throw a fade to, but I, I don't like the fade no matter what because you're literally it's a low it's a low chance play that it's it's successfully converted. A lot of things have to go right. The ball has to be on the money. The receiver has to time his jump, high point, and all that good stuff. You're throwing it to a five foot nine Hamler who's a dynamic playmaker, going up and getting the ball over defender. Definitely is in his strength. With two boundaries, you're throwing it to the corner. That's what I'm saying. It's a low, it's a low um, chance type of play, and it, yeah. it just makes no sense. Of all the plays you could have called there, that's the one. That's the one that you call. And and to be honest with you, after they didn't get that, I mean, I thought at that point it was it was pretty much over. Uh, but they did get obviously two more chances. They did. Uh, but that's the kind of thing that they were they were so bad in the red zone. And and it was so avoidable too in so many circumstances. Whether it's a read by by Clifford or or just a, a better call. I mean, it doesn't have to be a great call, but at least give him a chance. I mean, there's no chance on that on that fade. Yep, you're you could not have said it any better. So then they do get the ball back, come down the field, and this is one where they actually do score in the red zone. But there's still an issue that I have with it. Play the, clock the delay issues. of game. Play clock issues. That should have been a delay issues. of game on the Absolutely. touchdown. Absolutely. Yeah. If you're a Minnesota fan, and we're going to talk about calls that Penn State fans can be disappointed about, upset with, if you're a Minnesota fan, you have to be furious that that doesn't what was get that? called. Third down when they scored right there? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. I mean, you're, you're so literally you're looking, looking at, at what happened earlier in the game, and you're going from like a third and three to a third and eight. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, unbelievable. Right. And so fortunate they got away with it, but unforced errors by Penn State. So then Penn State decided to kick it deep. They do get it back. 
They bring it down the field. A huge play by Dotson. And he kind of tripped and fell, but even that, I don't know that he would have gotten there. And now the call that a lot of Penn State fans will remember, and I'm going to argue, yes, it was the wrong call, absolutely. Not the reason Penn State lost no, the game. They no, should have no, been no. kneeling on the football down t- uh, up 10 yeah. by the time they had this football. But a really nice route, and I, a rub route of sorts, but it's oh, really, man. it's really just I, Daniel George running straight at yeah. the <laughs> defensive back covering him. And honestly, the player that was going to be covering Brown coming out of the backfield was, was not nowhere affected, near, right? Not affected I, by by uh, and, Daniel And that George. changes the game. Um, obviously, uh, that would have gotten them down to the two two yards. It, it would have been, been third, third and, and one, one with an option with the possibility to get a first down and and then be first and goal from the one or score a touchdown. That's right. Instead, they go to second and twenty four. And then they have a, another, I think, terrible play designed for Daniel George, just a streak, and trying to hit him in the back of the end zone for a touchdown. Unsuccessful. Um, and, and then on the third down, uh, was that the uh, that was the interception, interception. right? Um, and then there was apparently what looked like could have been holding or pass interference yep. on the defense. And, and let me just say something about the, the refereeing in this game. <laughs> Penn State didn't lose because of the refs in this game. Um they they shot themselves in the foot. You know they didn't really get off the bus, if you ask me, until it was too late. Um, red zone play calling, time management, all this stuff adds up. Turnovers. What I will say about the refs and that that call on Daniel George because that's the one that hurts the most, if you ask me. All game, they, like that was inconsistent to what they were calling the whole game. That's the problem I have. If you're going to be consistently, um, you know, throwing ticky tack, you know, everything's being called. That's fine. But the fact that you were letting them play and, and you know, like Minnesota on, on the Hamler, the pass intended for Hamler that was intercepted, was blatant pass interference, nothing. So you're letting them play. They really didn't call much the whole game. And then you're going to call something in that circumstance with the game on the line, minute left, whatever it was, less than two minutes. I mean, that's a, that's a game-changing call that really shouldn't have been called, especially with the way they were calling the game. Right, and I think the issue with that call is I think every crew sees that a little bit differently. Certainly you're held to a certain standard, and that's the goal in college football. With the pick, rub, (laughs) pick is illegal, rub is legal. That was kind of neither, but uh, I think that it's not being accurately called or consistently called across college football. The the difference is that, again, I contend that that was not even a rub. He that, was running his route. Actually, the Minnesota guy almost engaged him. I think you're right about that. I, I just, it, well, I couldn't. When I saw the flag, I thought I didn't see it on on TV because it was kind of out of your picture. But I thought when they said pass interference on the offense, I thought maybe Brown like pushed off his guy to right. get open. And I'm sure, like, sure. they're showing the. I don't even know if they showed the replay, but I'm like, they did, yeah. And I'm like, that that's not pass interference. That's I mean, right. But I, to be honest, yes, they probably Penn State. But you don't know because of how bad their offense was in the red zone, which is funny because they had yeah. 518 <laughs> total yards. Would they have called another Clifford draw uh, or a fade? Or bad, we could have called a fade yeah. or the draw and then the fade. You never know. But um, they had 518 total yards of offense, which is a ton. Yep. And the the bottom line is they lost because of the red zone offense. However, if they if that's third and one at the two. I like their chances to at least get a first. I mean, you know, they're probably going to score. Odds are they are, um, but you never know. But it would have been nice to have have the chance to do so. Um, you know, I, I wonder too, Bob, how much they missed Noah Kane in the red yep. zone. 
Um, you know, I thought he would have been good to go after the bye week. Maybe he just I, apparently he was ninety percent, and they didn't want to use him if he wasn't a hundred. Journey Brown looked great. Don't get me wrong. I was told emergency situation. Emergency That's situation. what they said and on then the broadcast. They something. What's an emergency situation? It looked like an emergency to me. I don't know. Uh, maybe the other three running backs get hurt. I oh don't my know. Lord. Yeah, I don't know what the emergency situation means, but they definitely could have used them in some of those short yardage goal line uh, situations down there. You wonder if that would have had an impact on the game at all. Uh, but he wasn't available, I guess. Uh, but um, red zone offense to me and, and the defense not lacking adjustments and pass defense was the, the story in the game, I agree I agree that and giving credit to Minnesota's coaching staff and specifically yeah. their defensive they secondary for being ball hawks that I give them credit that's a team that deserved to win that football game I think Penn State would have been stealing it if Ooh, they yeah. found a way to win it and they almost did I don't think they would have deserved to have win that football game but they were in the spot and they couldn't execute when they needed to <sighs> okay that was kind of painful good, good therapy session that was good did that work for everybody <laughs> and listen out. I, I uh, we were kind of harsh there, and, and I felt maybe not you, but I, I felt like I was harsh. So let's bring it back to where it is. This is a team that's ahead of schedule right now. This is a team that was thought to be able to win in 2020, and this is a team that hopefully is over there at Haluba and at Lash, learning some big time lessons this week, getting Antonio Shelton back, getting Noah Kane healthy. John Reed was injured. Uh, he played at times like he was still feeling a little bit uh, less than 100%. Tariq Castro-Fields didn't have his best we were, game. We but were I, very thin at corner, if I may right. add. Trent Gordon didn't make the trip due to injury. He's yep. been pretty good this year. Donovan Johnson hasn't played much since early in the year. He's more of like a nickelback. Um, so they they were had to rely on Castro-Fields right. and Reed. And then, and then behind them were two true freshmen, Marquise Wilson and Keaton Ellis. Right. So they were already pretty thin at quarterback going you're, into that game. You're exactly right. And I'll add one more point on Castro Field specifically. Most of the time when he was getting beat with some of those big throws, his eyes were in the backfield. And, again, sometimes tough to tell without the all-22 footage. But what that tells me is that they were playing a lot of zone looks. And so you're backing up to a certain point. You have your zone and you're counting on your safety over the top to bail you out for anything over the top of a certain yard line from the, from the line of scrimmage. I think that was part of the most of the issue with Tariq Castro Field. So while it wasn't his best day, and he'll tell you that, I think some of the blame also has to go on the safeties. So that, uh, but then again, I'm I'm sorry. So I was talking about how how great uh, things are, and I I didn't want to totally make this a negative Nelly type of discussion. But let's get back to that. 2020 was thought to be the year that this team was going to be ready to go. They are a year ahead of schedule. Sean Clifford's getting some great exposure, and while he did throw three interceptions, it didn't feel like a colossal embarrassment or disaster, really. It, you know, there were, there were certain things that he did really well, and, and I still think, if nothing else, and then you look at the whiteboard behind us, this takes all of the suspense out of it, 100%. They have to win every game the rest of the way, they have to beat Ohio State clearly, and they, well, almost certainly now get Minnesota again if they win out the rest of the way in the Big Ten championship game in Indianapolis. If they do all that, and Minnesota's probably a top three team, top four team, we would probably say by the time they get to that game and you beat the number four team in the country, the only team that beats you, and you end the season 12-1, and you're going to the college football playoff simple as that i would think that regardless of who comes out of the west if if penn state 
miraculously, and I say that because I don't see them beating Ohio State. But if they win out, they beat Ohio State somehow, some way, um, and then and then play the Big Ten West winner in Indianapolis, whether that be looks like it could be Wisconsin or Minnesota at this point. Um, Minnesota with a two-game lead, but they go to Iowa this week, and then they'll get Wisconsin last right. game of the year. And if Wisconsin stays with two losses and beats them with one loss, then it's Wisconsin going. Yep. But no matter if it's Wisconsin or Minnesota, and I, like I said, I don't think this situation is going to come to fruition, but – I think no matter who it is, if they win, they would be in. I don't think right. I don't think that it has to be Minnesota just for a, like a you know another another chance at them type of thing to make up for the the last game. But um, you're right though; it does take, um, in my opinion, obviously now they have to win out. Whereas before, if they were to win every game but lose to Ohio State, and Ohio State's going to Indianapolis and wins the Big Ten, and then there's Penn State sitting at eleven and one. I still don't think they would have gotten into the playoff with that. I think that there's too many moving parts. You know, we talk about the Pac-12. It looks like it, a one-loss Oregon or a one-loss Utah could could be the um, the pick there. Um, conference champion. Then you're going to have teams like in Alabama that's also 11 and one, and their name carries a lot of weight. Uh, there's just you would have had to have had some things fall your way, and there's no guarantee of that. Um, they still control their own destiny, and that's the nice thing about it. But uh, we'll see how long that, that lasts. The funniest one that I heard is, oh, if you had to say Penn State had to lose a game, clearly Minnesota was the better game to lose. Well, you're exactly right. I yeah, think we, right, all, yeah, we yeah. all knew that the whole time. <laughs> but what are the chances that you lose to Minnesota and beat Ohio State? I don't know. We'll find out in two weeks, I suppose. But that's kind of that's the situation, and it has to be put out there. And, and the Ohio State thing, while not it was never nonsensical, that's probably not the right word, but the 11-1 and one thing was ambitious. That's right. probably it, the word. It was kind of like, that, uh, well, you know, the worst thing that could happen at that point is you're, you're looking at a Rose Bowl. Right. Which is probably no longer the case because of, you know, it might, it'll probably get like a Minnesota or something like that. And They would get the In nod. terms of bowl purposes, I mean, right now it, it, it is a little funky because it's like you're either looking at like a playoff, which I kind of doubt, or you're probably, you could be looking at like maybe like an or like a New Year's Six still, depending on how you finish, like Orange Bowl maybe against like an ACC unranked team. So that's kind of a weird game. Or a lesser bowl, like an Outback Bowl, but against a, like a good SEC team like an Auburn or something mm-hmm. like that. So right. some different situations floating, but there's still a lot of football to be played. And it just seems like in today's day and age, the bowls seem to matter less and less every year, which is unfortunate. But they still control the destiny. They got to take care of Indiana. This went way long, so I don't think we have much time to talk about Indiana. Peyton Ramsey, a name that we're all familiar with, playing quarterback for Indiana. He is actually their backup this year. Uh, so he has he has played a lot of football though for them this year. Because um, Penix is Penix hurt. is out, but uh, <laughs> this is probably Indiana's best team in some time. Tom um, Allen seven, doing a good job. Yes. Um, Tom, if you ask me, it's got to be Tom Allen and P.J. Fleck up for Coach of the Year, and probably they'd throw Ryan Day's name in the hat as well, of course. Unless Penn State um, wins out. Right. But to the college football But um, Indiana is no pushover. They're, they're coming off of a bye last week. Um, you know, it, to me, this game, you know, it's going to be interesting because the last couple of years, Penn State coming off of a loss hasn't played well the next game. Um, so it's inter- it's going to be – and many times that's Michigan State on the back end of a, a loss. So we'll see what what Penn State team comes out if they've matured from that, have grown out of that phase. Um, but I don't expect it to be an easy game by any stretch. You know, you usually look at Indiana, you're like, ah, it should be a win. It's at home. Um, you know, I think they've beaten us one time ever. Um, 
but I, I think it's going to be a pretty close game, to be honest with you. Think so? Yeah, we'll see. And we'll talk about that yeah, in our picks course. coming up in a couple of minutes. But the desperation of this game now makes me think that Penn State will take care of business against Indiana. I hope you're right. So we shall see. Up next is the Blitz. We go to the whiteboard, break down a concept related to Penn State football. And this one comes from the desk of Tyler Gelhouse here. It was his request to talk about the X, Y, and Z receivers' positions, the difference between them, and I'm going to weave in some Penn State undertones to that as well, why Penn State offensively has struggled at a certain one of those positions and why defensively they really struggled this weekend dealing with the YZ combo, and it's going to be a play that we talked about in the first part of the show. Stay with us, everybody. You're watching the Nittany Lions Sports Report here on Bob Long Sports. Nearly 40 years. Right here on Frankfurt Avenue. Generation after generation. Our neighbors continue to be our customers. We have access to the cars and trucks you want. With financing you need. Dumpy Ford is Northeast Philly's first choice for America's number one brand. 7700 Frankfurt Avenue in Mayfair. Online at www.dumpyford.com. Come experience the Dumpy difference. You'll be glad you did. And welcome back, everybody, inside our Nittany Lions Sports Report studios. It's time for the Blitz, where we go to the whiteboard and we break down one concept of Penn State football. And today, it is going to be that of the X, Y, and Z position. So X receiver is going to be the guy that is all alone on this side of the field. Essentially, what that means is that there's no Y, or let's call him slot receiver, and then the Z receiver is going to be on that same side of the field as the Y receiver. So what are some of the key characteristics of each of these receivers and what makes an effective receivable at each position an effective one there? So Justin Shorter plays most of the snaps at the X position for Penn State. What this means is that he's going to be alone on his side of the field. Certainly you could have like Pat Fryermuth here on the line or something to that extent, but you're not going to have K.J. Hamler in that Y or slot position on that side of the field, unless he comes in motion prior to the snap. So you think about it, this side of the field here is somewhat open. You're likely going to have a Fryermuth heading this way, and then Y and Z are going to kind of make up this side of the field in one way, shape, or form. So what does that mean? You want a receiver that's going to be big, strong, and the ability to go up and catch the football at the high point of his jump. And so Justin Shorter on Saturday, had trouble when he lined up in a spot just like this, ran down the field, a little post route, and Clifford throws what I thought was a good, not great ball. It could have been a little bit more towards this side of the field, right, leading him more towards the end zone. But it ended up kind of floating over this way, and Antoine Winfield Jr. was playing defense, came over top. He catches the football at the high point of his jump as Justin Shorter is actually losing his balance around here, and he has not shown the ability to consistently go up, catch the football, and bring it down. But that's what you want in an X receiver. A Y receiver is your slot receiver. Sometimes a smaller guy. We have seen guys like Wes Welker, Cole Beasley be very successful with this at the NFL level. Guys that can get into the middle of the field and create a crevice. Put their foot in the ground and come back here to the middle of the field. Her head straight across like this. Or even run a little jet sweep. And we've seen all of that from K.J. Hamler. The other thing that he can do excellently, we're about to talk about what's great about a Z receiver and what characteristics you want to see in a Z receiver. Often tremendous route runners 
Z receiver is going to work with Y on the same part of the field. This is where you're going to see a rub or pick route, something that we actually did not see uh, for Daniel George, but was called nonetheless. But you're running something here where you're going to force the corners to either play zone defense as to not be affected by this crossing route. This guy says, I take the inside receiver. This cornerback says, I take the outside receiver. But that's also going to create crevices for guys of this speed and force the safety to get involved. Or they're playing man-to-man defense, and you force them to fight through this rub or pick play, and that can create openings in the middle of the field. So because these two receivers are playing with one another and because there isn't as much space, that's why you need your faster you're better route runners, and on this side of the field, you're opening it up and taking the shot. So I talk about safeties. Let's look at a single high safety look that's going to start out in the middle of the field and ask what he's going to do. X and Y are on different sides of the field. Z is on the same side as Y. So now, what is this safety going to do? Well, you're likely going to have one corner here, one corner here. Here's your front seven. Oop, B, C. <laughs> C, B. And then you'll have a couple linebackers in here, another cornerback over there. And, and the third linebacker here, so now there's your single safety look, right? Count them up. One, two, three, four, five. Uh, one, two, three, four on the defensive line. There's seven. Three corners and a safety. That makes 11. So only one safety look here. Well, he's certainly going to start shading to this side of the field, you would think, right? Two receivers there. It's one-on-one. -on -one. You're hedging your bets and saying somebody's going to need help over the top. More than likely, it's going to be on this side of the field where there are multiple receivers. Okay, well, that's a great opportunity when you have an X receiver that can go up high and get the football. This safety is either hedging here and leaving this open or... This guy is so dangerous, think Allen Robinson, that the safety has to abandon this side of the field, shade over this way, and now you have multiple one-on-one multiple -on -one looks for those receivers. So that's the theory. That's kind of the concept behind X, Y, and Z receivers and why they are so important. And I wanted to bring one more defensive example. It's a timely one because we talk about Penn State football here a lot. So X and Y receivers – Let's go Y here, uh, Z here, and X stays up here. So Minnesota ran a play where the ball was actually on this hash, and there was more room to this side of the field, a Y and a Z. This was early on. Lamont, Wade, and then John Reed, and then Garrett Taylor. So Garrett Taylor is your single high safety. John Reed is here. Only two linebackers. This was a nickel look for Penn State. So now there's five cornerbacks on the field. There's a tight end there for Minnesota. All right, so what is Penn State going to do? What, they're, what they decided to do was commit Lamont Wade on a blitz, and I actually have this wrong. So if you bear with me here, because this is very important. Lamont Wade, John Reed, Tanner Morgan, the quarterback for Minnesota. Lamont Wade comes at him here. There's a receiver and a receiver. The Z and the X. And this is Rashad Bateman. So now John Reed comes and covers this guy. It's Garrett Taylor's responsibility to come get the Z receiver. 
but the Z receiver ran straight down the middle of the field. The X receiver was over here, so Garrett Taylor was more on this side, and all of a sudden they run the play. He's got to get over there. He was late coming. Tanner Morgan does a great job to fire it down the field before Garrett Taylor can get there, and they take it to the house. So the issue here, I thought, was that Tanner Morgan turns like this. Here comes Lamont Wade. Okay, he picks it up. He sees it. Running back is here. Picks up the block. Morgan, just enough time, fires it down the field. The whole field was in front of him. A bad blitz design coming to the vision side, if you will, of Morgan rather than the blind side. But again, forcing Penn State safeties to make a decision as this X receiver is strong. That's Johnson over there. This is Bateman running down the field. Pretty good route, pretty good recognition. He goes over the top and scores the touchdown. So wanted to break down X, Y, and Z receivers as we go through the blitz here tonight. And there were some timely examples, both offensively and defensively, as to why Penn State struggled to maximize these positions or defend them. So thanks for being with us here. That's the blitz for tonight. Up next, Ryan Ansel comes to the studio, tells us a little bit about the Swarthmore Garnet, the number one team in the country at the D3 level. And then he's also going to tell us about Ryan Ansel basketball, his coaching professional uh, unit. He has lots of clients in the Philadelphia area, and we'll talk to him about that and a lot more. And, of course, get his picks next on the Nittany Lions Sports Report. I chose CCM because I have found that this company, um, on the level of scaling that we have here, the volume that we are doing, to truly have every department head and employee fully engaged in the mission of the company to make it an originator-focused, um, production-first, uh, company. I have not found that anywhere I've worked, and I've worked at one of the largest banks in the world, down to the smallest tiny community bank and correspondent lender. No one has been able to consistently deliver that message. Welcome back, everybody. This is the Nittany Lions Sports Report, live on Bob Long Sports. Bob Long, Tyler Galehouse, and as you saw at the outset, it's Ryan Ansel here, the uh, assistant coach of Swarthmore Men's Basketball, the number one team in the country at the D3 level. And he so graciously allows me to come in and broadcast the games for him. So that's a reason in and of itself to have him on the We're show. We're lucky to have you, Bob. <laughs> I appreciate Good that. luck charm, Bob. <laughs> yeah, it's something like that. Something like that. So we wanted to have you on because you have a multifaceted story here, Ryan. You wear the Swarthmore Garnet Garnet. And, uh, and you, uh, Garnet's a color, by the way. And then you also have your own coaching service, Ryan Ansel Basketball which has shot to the top of the charts. So uh, I would like to talk about all of that. But why don't we start with Swarthmore? The, we'll go number one with number one. And I know that you guys saw that and probably just eh, shrugged your shoulders and went back to practice because I know that's the culture of the program. But tell me honestly how it felt to see you guys at number one preseason. Uh Honestly, it means nothing because it's preseason, so that doesn't doesn't really help us. Uh, it's nice to get the recognition and the respect at this point, but that's really all it is because we hadn't done anything to prove that or earn that at that point other than the history from the year before, which 
each year is a new team each year is a new group of guys a new a new journey so uh honestly we just like you said we went right back to practice we recognize that people are talking about that but that means nothing to our team and our culture so you hear that tyler's gonna be a boring interview <laughs> i can't say anything landry will get pissed off <laughs> that's right yes hi landry how are you man looking forward to seeing you guys soon so you guys are getting back to work you guys went to the national championship last mm. year and if i may you guys in each year that landry has been coaching the team many of which if not all of which you've been there coaching with them i've been there since they got good so uh <laughs> Uh, he's been there. This is his eighth season. This is my fifth year that I've tagged along. Okay, so. fair enough. And each year that Landry has been coaching the program, they've gotten a little bit better. Record has gotten better. Uh, you know, success in the conference tournament has gotten better. And then the NCAA tournament success yep. has gotten better to the point where you got to the national championship game last year. So what are the expectations this year? Uh, the expectations are for the guys like you, not for us. Uh, our expectation is to go one game at a time. <laughs> <laughs> he can't even do it with a straight face. No, he can absolutely. Uh, but yes. But yeah, our expectation is just that we go out, play hard. If we do that, we practice hard, prepare for each game, then we'll be fine with the result, whatever that may be. And yeah, we take it one game at a time. So tell me about your next game then. I'll uh, acquiesce. So we have Newman College, who, as you know, has been pretty good since yes. we started broadcasting our games. They've been a regionally one of the better teams. So we go to their place just like we went to Eastern, your yeah. alma mater. Beautiful gym. Beautiful gym. Beautiful gym. gym. State of the art. High, high yeah, school gym that's that a, I told them uh, it's like an aux gym at a high school pretty much. Better uh, than Rosemont's gym, though. I don't know if you've been there. We but, have not been oh, there. lucky uh, you. Hopefully we don't have to go there. <laughs> uh, but, but, yeah, so – the, we got the first game, got that taken care of. Now it's head to Newman, another road road game. So uh, they have some talented guys. We'll have to defend. Uh, they can get hot, but we're going to try and sort of do what we do. We have a different look. I don't know if you called any of our game uh, with our pressure this year. So it's something Landry's been wanting to do, and this year we have the personnel. So uh, we'll see how it, how it goes. Let's talk about personnel then. This is a Swarthmore team that loses Cam Wiley, an All-American, two-time Centennial Conference Player of the Year. Two preseason All-Americans step up, though. Zach O'Dell, Nate Schaefer, guys that have been rocks for your program for three years and shows how old I'm getting that they are now seniors. I, know, me I mean, too. that is unbelievable. <laughs> what, were they born in like 98? <laughs> really dates us. <laughs> I just remember when, when Zach was this long freshman that, you know, was developing a shot, and but you knew everything was there athletically, and he yeah. was already dominating the glass. And Nate Schaefer was this freshman that came in physical and could finish at the rim and a great rebounder. And now here they are as seniors with all of those traits and a whole lot more. How does it feel to be anchored really in the front court this year? Yeah, it's it's a unique thing because for Division three teams, it's rare that your front court, you get that kind of talent that we've been lucky enough to have and guys with uh, the abilities they have uh, both, both offensively and defensively. So it's something special, and uh, we'll hopefully be able to complement them with our front court, which – as you know, Visconti, Colin Shaw, Ryan Ingram, uh, let's see, Vinny coming in. Yep. We have 
Tucker can shoot the ball, stretch the court. So we got a lot of pieces. Uh, we got Michael Caprice to come off the bench to sort of give them breaks. So we got some depth that I think will really, really help us and allow us to play at a different tempo. Although we've always played fast, this will allow us to play push teams both with our defense, full court pressure, and then offensively. So if we can't look forward, maybe we can look back. Yeah. If you could describe to me the journey for you, five years, and really the program as a whole, where you've come to where you are now, to really being a focal point of the athletics department at Swarthmore and kind of the bell cow right now, I would think, with a lot of other great programs, but I feel like building a resurgence across the athletic department as a whole. Did you see men's and women's soccer? I Shout did. Out to them. Both, both of them in the both NCAA, made the NCAA tournament. tournament so that's the stuff I'm talking about. Baseball, I mean, Baseball, everything. Baseball, done a great job with their program, really brought them to the forefront with their College World Series appearance right. last or two years ago. So, uh, yeah, I guess it all started. I got back from Ireland, and Landry asked me over for dinner and then asked me if I wanted to help out with the team. I think they were 11 and 17 at that point, but they had Zach Yonda and his class with Lammers. So they were Matt Brennan ready to turn it around. So I got in at the right time, obviously. And that next year we won, I think, 21 games. So uh, it's sort of ever since then, we've won more games, more tournament games each year. And it's a credit to Landry, the guys he's brought in and sort of the culture he's built there in terms of every next man up because Chris Bourne got hurt. You remember that yep. Se- season ending injury. He was our best player, mm. Matt Brennan, uh, career ending injury with concussions. And then Cam stepped up and each year, no matter what happens, someone steps up and sort of takes us to that next level. So, yeah, I want to ask a question for you, uh, more of off the court and recruiting. Um, for those of you that don't know, Swarthmore is an incredible institution um top probably one of the top schools not probably definitely one of the top schools in the country um think ivy league school but division three athletics um how do you guys go about recruiting um what kind of recruiting um you know pro i don't want to say problems but um you know issues that come arise you get see this player you really like and then you find out he just doesn't cut it i mean you have to be top of the top to get into swathmore so what kind of um you know strategies you guys have to implement on your recruiting um, on the recruiting end at Swarthmore yeah so that's a big hurdle I remember my AU coach growing up he would say as your points per game go up your SAT and GPA go down uh, <laughs> there's nice North Philly uh, and so that's something that we don't really go see guys play unless we have their grades because anytime you go see kids play and you don't have the grades you get excited about someone and 99. Nine, maybe nine point eight uh, percent of the time, it doesn't doesn't work. Save to get miles on the car too. Yeah, save miles on the car, save your time and your excitement uh, for another kid. So mm-hmm. yeah, we go to a lot a lot of the Ivy Elite camps because there's usually kids there with grades. And when we go to those camps, they give us a packet with everyone's grades, which eighty percent of those kids don't cut it. So we can sort of scratch them out and look at the kids who qualify or wow. come close to then once you have the guys you like you still have to get them they still have to get through admissions and that's not something we can really do much about it's right. sort of there's not much pull there huh? no, wow it's, so it's been it it 
it's a challenge, but it's also you get to recruit kids who want to be challenged both academically and athletically at the highest level. Right. So yeah, because I'm looking at the the roster here, and um, there's kids from all over the country. I mean, yeah, you have a kid from Swarthmore, uh, but you got a kid from um, Tennessee. You have California, Ohio, Virginia. New York, you know, just to mention uh, Massachusetts, I think I saw Wisconsin on there. Um, so you got kids really from all over the country, and I would assume that is because of um, the academics at Swarthmore and the kind of kids that you that get accepted to that school. It's not like um, a lot of times you see D3, there, there are a lot of local kids on the team, yeah. and that's not the case. Um, and I know that from lacrosse and playing against Swarthmore, that they're from, they're from all over the country. Yeah. No, that is uh, absolutely correct. Although Eastern, for some reason, their basketball team they're had a from lot Miami. of guys from Florida. Yeah, yeah and, I I, know and what apparently the, the um, that, I'll I'll tell you the story <laughs> off air, but um, they have a little pipeline down. There. <laughs> That's yeah, what I thought. Yeah. <laughs> I sort of figured that on air, on air, on air. All right, well, it's, <laughs> it's, it's no, it's it's all legal. Don't worry. I mean, uh, we're a good Christian school, D3 but uh, yeah, uh, the the former head coach, which is now the athletic director, mm-hmm. McNally, um, he was from Miami and. He was at a high school there and then got the job at Eastern, I believe, and was just kind of had good connections there. And they got a bunch of kids from the Miami area. They got a kid from, like, Dominican Republic. I mean, they were recruiting, like, all over. And then there's, like, only a couple kids from the area. Yeah. I mean, even – it was pretty crazy. Um, but that was – that's the Miami pipeline. And they yeah. still have a good amount of kids from Miami on the yeah, team. They yeah, they do. <laughs> it's, very, it's very strange, but it is. Especially because Eastern, it's like – It's so random. I know. It's and... so random. <laughs> Well, you can watch the Swarthmore Garnet basketball team on the Garnet Sports Network, and they have some hack doing play-by-play for them. But uh, hope you enjoy it, and the team on the floor will will far surpass uh, that in the booth. Bob does a great job for us. We're <laughs> lucky to have him. Is he? Did you make the trip last year to the Final Four? Unfortunately, did not make the trip to the Final this, Four this year. Hopefully, that they go back. Would do you think you'd be making the trip? I would love to make the trip, and then if Turner wanted to call up too, and. Have me call it. That would be, I, I be a good one. That would be a good trip for you, Bob. Uh, where Where's the Final Four? Uh, Fort so Wayne, right? The or do they change eight, that? Elite Eight and Final Four will be in Fort Wayne this year, whereas last, time it, was, yeah, last time it was Final Four National Championship. This year, the National Championship's in Atlanta Ooh, between the nice. Final Four and the National Championship Turner. Division One. Oh, the Division it's One won, Final Four so, is in uh, uh, Atlanta, Atlanta in the football stadium. The new, the really? new. Yeah, is that where you? That's where you'd be playing. Too? Yeah, in between the game, oh, like you got to go down, off. Bob. You can, that's a that's a good drive for you. You got to tell Jay to get the team <laughs> down. I know you travel where Jay whoa, goes. Whoa, whoa, Mister One and O, One and O over yeah, here. Yeah, Mr. One and O. I'm saying he can talk to Jay. <laughs> <laughs> and what do you think? Uh, what answer do you think I'm going to get from Jay? <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Well, best of luck to the Swarthmore Garnet team. Clearly, I'll be following along, and you can check them out on the Garnet Sports Network. It'll all be through Bob Long Sports. I can put the links out there and, and such as well as there are games coming up. And if anyone needs tickets, hit Bob up. He's got season tickets. That's right. Yes, I do. How so. about that? <laughs> yes. Scalp them in the parking lot. <laughs> So that's not all you do, of course. You run a, a business for yourself as well, Ryan Ansel Basketball, where you're coaching kids of all levels and abilities. Where did that come from? And tell us a little bit about it. Uh, so first off, uh, I was pretty unoriginal. That's why I stuck with Ryan Ansel Basketball, even though I hate uh, the spotlight. Easy uh, now. <laughs> Is Bob Long Sports original? I guess not. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> BLS, though. BLS. BLS. R- I'm going R- Rab. 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 <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, yeah, I started out, uh, that was four, four to five years ago. 
just started with zero clients. Now I have over a hundred, uh, coach kids from ages seven to I have a client who's 75. So ranging from beginners at various ages to semi-pro professional, obviously my college guys have some shooting workouts with them tomorrow morning. They better be ready. Uh, they better not be watching this. You better be in bed. <laughs> no, studying. They got finals studying. tomorrow. Uh, come on. Come on. It's a <laughs> Come on. When they're not on the court, they got to be studying. Uh, but, yeah, so I started out just sort of doing my little little thing on the side. Then I decided if I want to do it full time, that way I can focus on the coaching and not waste my time sitting at a desk, although I do respond to too many emails. I sort of went all in in the private training and small group training and now that's sort of what I do in between Swarthmore seasons to pay the bills. And I like to help kids various levels sort of achieve their goals, but also help them learn what it takes to push themselves and that sort of anything's possible. Anytime, anytime a kid says can't, they all know, drop down and give me five push-ups because one of the things I really try and push every kid to do is sort of think beyond the court and sort of learn life lessons uh, while we train. You can so. get one-on-one instruction or small group instruction with a top D3 assistant, one of the top programs in the country. He does that by day and by night, I guess, and also by day and yeah. by night. And by early You're, morning. And by early mornings, <laughs> training some of the uh, the youth basketball players throughout Philadelphia. So how, if somebody is interested in getting their kid top instruction, how would they get a hold of you? Uh, so through, uh, if you go to www.ryananselbasketball.com, I know it's a little long, but uh, pretty easy to remember. Uh, and I also do have, I think I train like four LaSalle college high school players. Really? So, yeah. Wow, that's Sean, good to hear. Sean Mazzoni's going to have a breakout year Fantastic. for LaSalle, uh, two guard. Uh, and yeah, so if you go online, you can get my email, phone number, sort of contact me through there. And I train pretty much seven days a week, no days mm. off. So yeah, I'm on the website right now. It's actually a really good website. Even if, if you're not interested, but you're watching a show, def- definitely check it out. I mean, um, Ryan played it at Davidson. Um, which I don't think he mentioned. Yeah, that's right. Um, we didn't get that. But he he did he did play at the same school where uh, the famous Steph Curry uh, played. That's uh, how I got my first client. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. Yeah, we played at, at Davidson. That's cool. No, but I mean the website really is is good with a lot of good information. So even if you're not interested in in basketball and just want to, you're just a fan of the show. Definitely check it out because there's some good stuff on here. I, I really like reading this. Yeah. Well, thank you for the intel and for the deep dive into everything you're doing. It's it's oh, yeah. great, and we'll be following along with Swarthmore, following along with Ryan Ansel basketball, and we recommend that everybody check out the both of them. So the reason you're here, in addition to all that, Ooh. is to make some picks. I better check my notes. I drew working hard here. For oh me. yeah, that's right. You're, we didn't talk about Drew, I'm your assistant, assistant <laughs> on, of Ryan Ansel basketball. <laughs> we also didn't mention that uh, this guy right here. Oh, oh, I sent a picture to Rob Kelly. Did you really? Okay. Sorry, Rob. So Ryan was a sponsor of our annual Cup Charity Golf Event. It was them. It was you, that is, and <laughs> Apollo Biomedical, our two sponsors. So we appreciate you stepping up and supporting. Very philanthropic in the community. So has to be thrown out there. Yep. Looking forward to next year, too. Yep, Rob. Rob's <laughs> going to be a little pissed that you brought that up, the trophy. 
Oh, that's fair. I understand. <laughs> I understand. Hey, listen, it's it's an important event, and it is. We're both gunning for it. Uh, you know, if if you're not a little bit pissed off, it probably doesn't mean yeah. something to you. So, and it means something to us. It means something to them. That's why it's great when you tee it up every year. <laughs> anyway, we're going with the picks. Um, yes. Bob is now has a one game lead on me. There are still two undefeated picks out there. I believe the one is who we just talked about. Um, Rob is his name, right? Yeah, Rob uh, Kelly. Yeah, he did it off air, technically. Um, but Rob Kelly on air, but filmed. And then, um, and then Mara, Mara Long, yes. Bob's Bob's wife. So we have two undefeated teams so no far. No pressure, Ryan. Uh, yeah, no pressure at all. Um, some pretty tough games, if you ask me, this week. Um, we're gonna go head to head, and then the Penn State game will be based off of the spread. Okay, so we're gonna start off with Georgia at Auburn. Do I go first? You go you first. You are the guest. Uh, yes, you are first. You started right. making me question some of my picks I have here uh, <laughs> when I stepped into the studio. Uh, so I have Georgia. Uh, I don't think they'll lose three in a row. Uh, yeah, that's my pick. Three in a row. Oh, isn't that what Drew said? Two avoid, Auburn? Avoid maybe three losses. They right. only have one loss. Hey, listen. It's Georgia, all right. You don't need a reason. Oh, wait. I think I... Oh, Oh, he didn't give me an answer for that. I'm going UGA. <laughs> oh, there you go. You give me say, two arguments. If there's a team looking to avoid three losses, it's Auburn. Yeah, maybe that's what he meant. I yeah, don't that's know. what he meant. He said Auburn but, would be tough to beat, but I'm going UGA. There you go. I like Auburn to beat Georgia, effectively knock them out of the college football playoff race. This game at Jordan-Hare, it's a really big rivalry game because of how close Auburn is to the Georgia Between border. the hedges, right? Is that what this game is? Between is that what they call it? Between the hedges? No, between the hedges is just That's any sh- game in Athens. Oh, okay. At, at Georgia, okay. this is Jordan Hare. Yeah, um, yeah. I, I think Auburn's going to win. The miracle of Jordan Hare, yeah, by the way. Yeah, I, I think Auburn's going to Auburn's going to win this game. Um, like you said, it's going to knock Georgia out. Auburn's still going to have two losses. Uh, Georgia's still going to be coming out of the East uh, SEC East with two losses, probably to take on LSU. I do like Auburn. They are the home team, and that is my main reason for taking them in this game. Yeah, but Georgia's um, going to win. We'll see. We'll <laughs> see. Um, Oklahoma at Baylor. Interesting game. Big 12 not getting much love in the college football playoff rankings. Um, Baylor undefeated, still not top 10. Uh, ba- uh, Oklahoma is has one loss and is number 10. So Oklahoma at Baylor. So it's my turn first. It is. Okay, I'm going Oklahoma. Uh, that ain't no guess. No. That's what's going to be? Or? Yeah. <laughs> uh, I think Jalen Hurts is making a case for Heisman. I love his story, sort of getting get in the tough situation at Alabama and now it's doing a great job, and I think they'll come out on top. No P- defense. Pillow fight here. Um, <laughs> neither team playing well. Baylor struggling to get by TCU, Texas Tech, Oklahoma. West Virginia. Yeah, West Virginia by three points. Oklahoma struggling to beat Iowa State this weekend. They needed a stop two-point conversion to do so. Loses to Kansas State. I like Oklahoma just because I think they're a better football team than Baylor. I do not trust Baylor. I love Matt Rule. I do not trust Baylor. And I've lost my shirt, I think, now three times on Baylor. But <laughs> Enough I'm gonna, is enough. <laughs> enough is enough. I'm still picking against them. Yeah. Oklahoma. Um, yeah, I'm going Oklahoma too. Uh, talent, the talent gap is my reason for that. Oklahoma, had, like you said, neither teams look great, but Oklahoma's a better team, better quarterback. Uh, I do like Matt Rule a lot as well. Lincoln Riley's a hell of a coach himself. 
Um, so I'm going to go Boomer Sooner there. Uh, next, we have um, undefeated and just knocked off Penn State. Minnesota Golden Gophers travel on the road to Iowa. So Iowa, good defense, pretty bad offense, yep. if I'm correct. Pretty much. Uh, and I have, although Minnesota's coming off a big win, I think they'll get another win this week. Uh, P.J. Fleck will have his guys ready for for a big game, and they'll step up, and Iowa won't be able to score points, so they'll lose. My main question is how will Minnesota handle this level of success? I like P.J. Fleck as a coach. I think he has the guys buying in. Still college kids, so I think there will be a lull early on in this game. I don't know that Iowa takes advantage of that, though, when they have that opportunity in the first and maybe into the second quarter with a sleepwalking Minnesota. And I think that Minnesota does still win the game, perhaps close over Iowa. Yeah, I don't know if you're picking on what, picking at what I was saying earlier, picking up, I guess. Um, I think that— I'm not picking up what you're saying now. Yeah, I know. It's not making, <laughs> no, but what I was getting at earlier was when we were talking about who's going to play who in the Big Ten championship if it's Penn State— would it be yep. one loss or undefeated Minnesota? I actually think Minnesota is going to lose um, to Iowa. I think Iowa's going to beat them, like you said. I don't know how Minnesota's going to hand. They haven't had this kind of success in their program in some time. Um, Iowa, as Penn State fans, that was no easy place to go win. Well coached, well prepared every week. Um, I think Iowa wins. Minnesota comes back down to earth a little bit. And I think that game for Minnesota last game of the year – get home against Wisconsin is going to set up uh, who goes to the West. Yeah. So um, I do have the upset with Iowa knocking off uh, Minnesota this week. Um, next, we're going to go Navy at Notre Dame. Uh, just like Mara, I have Notre Dame getting a win. How about that? Shouting out the host's wife on air. That's good. The 6-0. and oh. The 6 Oh, that's true. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, she's not the host's wife. She's number one tied in the uh, guest picker. That's who she is. Yes, I like Notre Dame as well here. Unfortunately, you know, for the Irish standpoint, they've, they've fallen back to earth in a big way, unfortunately for Mara as well. But uh, I think they beat Navy. Just don't see it. Not not good enough to beat Notre Dame, even though they're not maybe quite the team that they were expected to be early on. Yeah, the triple option that Navy runs gives teams fits. I know that they beat Notre Dame within, within 10 years. I can't sure. remember exactly. And it was probably closer to five than it was 10. Um the triple option gives teams fits. Uh, but, you know, I think Notre Dame, they haven't been playing that well as of late, but I think that they should be able to handle Navy. Um, and if not, you're going to start to hear, you know, the Brian Kelly rumors um, stronger and stronger. But um, be careful what you wish for if you're a Notre Dame fan um, because he's a pretty good coach if you ask me. And then um, <clears throat> the final game that will go head-to-head, -head, uh, back to the Pac-12, Texas at Iowa State. I'm going Texas, horns up. Horns Is up. It, isn't that what they say? That's it. That <laughs> is Oklahoma what says horns down. Horns down. That's it. Oh, this one's so tough. And I just, it is a it's, tough one. It's at Iowa State, you're telling me? It is. I think give me Iowa State. I, I don't know. Um, uh, this is Iowa State's been a bizarre team. It's, yeah. As is Texas. They, the, the Big 12 is wacky. It is. I, I'll just go because of the home field. Texas hasn't done anything to impress me. I took a flyer on them last week. Uh, to beat Kansas State, and um, I think I'm going Iowa State this week. A little bit more trust. I don't know if I have trust for anybody, but I'm going to go Cyclones. And this is a tough one. Uh, I'm going to go. I'm going to go Iowa State. No, 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 no. I'm sorry. I don't know what I'm thinking. I was thinking of the two games before. I'm going Texas. Tejas. Uh, yeah, I think 
I don't I don't actually think anything on this one. I'm just going Texas. Okay. The big the Big Twelve is bizarre. So we're it gonna is. we're just going Texas and out of control. Yeah. Um, and then finally, uh, it'll be Penn State's coming in 14 and a half point favorites over Indiana. Do you think Penn State will win by more than I guess we'll set it at uh, 15? Right? Will they win by more than? 15? You're saying yeah, 14 and yeah, a half. Yeah. So right? will they so win by more than 15 or less than 15? 14 and a half, whatever you want to call it. So I paid Drew big money to do the research. He says go Penn State three TDs. Really? Mm, wow. So uh, yeah, if you know. If he's wrong, he's just not getting paid for this weekend. Right. <laughs> this weekend's of co- this weekend of coaching. And if he's right, does he get overtime pay or is it just he's hey, right, thanks for playing? If he's right this is out, what's expected of if you. he's right, he gets forty bucks extra. All right, deal. There you go. Deal. I actually like Indiana on this one. I think the fourteen and a half might do something for you. They're gonna throw the ball early and often. Penn State secondary was exposed a little bit. I do think the pass rush gets there this week, more so than it has in the last three to four weeks. But I, I think Indiana uh, can keep it close. And I, I'm just a little bit concerned about the team right now. So what do you think the score is going to be? Uh, that's right. We do have to pick that. 35-21. How about that? So right under the half. Yep. And what, Ryan, what do you think the score is going to be? I'm going – You said three touchdowns. Yeah. So, so I'm going to say 35. So 14. 35, 14. There you 35, go. 14. We can, yeah. Well, I was kind of surprised. I thought earlier, Bob, maybe I'm mistaken. I thought you said that you expect Penn State to come out fired up out of the gates. I do. And they still could and not, obviously, cover. Um, I think it's going to be close to that number. Um, you know, I think Penn State will win the game. Um, I was leaning towards definitely taking the under, but you have a one-point lead on me right now, one-game lead on me, and we're, we're winding down the season. Mm. So for the um, for the dramatic, I'll take okay. the over. I like I'm it. I'm going to go over. taking Penn State. And I'm going to go in between. Yeah, I'm going to take Penn State, not the over. I'm going to take them to cover, and I'm going to take them by – I'm going to go in between you two. I'm going to go 17 points. Um, I guess that would be like a what, like a 34 34- – 17? Yeah. Is that equal 17? It does. So we'll go with that. It does. So we're going to go with that one right there. So that, they're the picks um, for for this week. You may not be the math major, but you are the Davidson basketball player and the Swarthmore coach. So we bring you in for this kind of stuff. The brains, yes. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> okay, so there you go. I, I, we triangulated around that game, and the line sounds like it's pretty good. If we're anywhere near being correct... We'll see how that goes. Ryan, appreciate you being here, man. Did you have fun? I had fun. Thanks for having me, and I look forward to you being on the mic at the Dave, uh, Swarthmore games. Yeah, that's right. Best I- of luck to uh, Swarthmore for the rest of the year. I hope we see you guys cutting down the nets. Hopefully Bob gets the experience of a lifetime to go down to Atlanta to call the Final Four, at least be a part of the team. Maybe you get to cut down the net, too. Yeah, I don't let's, think let's so. Let's take care of Newman this Saturday. That's right. Newman. <laughs> Newman, Newman, Newman. No nets being cut down after Newman. Yeah, Newman, 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 Newman. That's, that's what the board should have said to Newman. <laughs> Newman, 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 Newman. But if I could, I want to step back and talk about some of the decisions we made against Eastern. That's a James Franklin reference, Oh, jeez. Oh, God. But if I can talk about one thing with Minnesota, I'm going to talk about the two-point conversion that nobody's asked me about right. in this press conference. Right. Nonetheless. All right, that's about all the time we have here tonight, guys. Ryan Ansel, our guest, Swarthmore basketball assistant, Ryan Ansel basketball founder. Look him up. Get your kids some training. Anywhere from a young player up through high school, even into college, Ryan will help them train, and uh, he's, he's the best. So he is the best uh, here in Philadelphia for that type of instruction. Tyler Gellhouse. The best co-host here on Bob Long Sports. We appreciate your time here, man. And uh, 
not the best at anything, but doing my best. Bob Long saying so long here from our Nittany Lions Sports Report studios. Enjoy the football, and until next week, have a great rest of your week. Enjoy.